0: to the Orton Family Foundation's Heart and Soul Talks Conference Call Series. This is when we focus on key tools and solutions aimed at building better communities through empowering residents to plan for their future based on what matters most to them. Community Heart and Soul is the Orton Family Foundation's signature community development and planning methodology. My name is Fran Stoddard, and today we will focus on out-of-the-box ways to boost public engagement. You'll hear great ideas for how to get creative and get results with public engagement that involves everyone. On our call are Megan Picard. She's Orton's Senior Associate of Programs. Megan Carlson, a past Heart and Soul Project Coordinator in Gardner, Maine, and Robbie Hines, a Heart and Soul team member from Cortez, Colorado. Hello, ladies.
1: Hello. Welcome to everybody. Okay. A
0: lively crew. So we have over 380 folks registered today. So we have put um, those listeners on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible. In your email is a link to our Google Doc. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions so you can interact with us. You can open that document in your browser and follow along as Orton's Leslie Wright takes notes. These notes will be proofed and refined after the call, uh, providing a great resource for you in the future. So please resist proofing those notes while the call is in progress. We'll um, make sure that uh, all that spelling is corrected after, after the call is over. However, we do encourage you to add your own thoughts, comments, and questions during the call um, or even proofing the document after the call is finished. Right now, because we have so many people involved, uh, the document is only allowing people to, uh, to read. It's in the read-only mode. If you uh, think that you probably won't be asking questions, then you might want to log out and log back in. Um, there might be a way we can also handle some email uh, email questions because there is a large crowd, and we are thrilled that you're all here from coast to coast and all over North America. It's great to have so many Canadian listeners as well. So it's a good idea you can skim through the document. you'll see there's several questions there already, um, so maybe your question is already uh, taken care of. And as we noted, this document will be left up after the call for your continued input and reference. And in the next few days, we'll also send links to the call notes and the podcast to all of you participants. Um, so the Google Doc, uh, clearly, it can only handle 50, uh, 50 people at a time. So that's why we're seeing this log jam. Again, all you have to do um, is close out and reopen the document, in, the, in it will open now in the read-only mode. So, and if you're having any trouble with the Google Doc, just click the refresh icon and, and hopefully that will do it. If you're having any other technical issues, you can email Rachel Moyer, she's sitting here right there next to me, at rmoyer, R-M-O-Y-E-R, at orton.org, and we'll do everything we can to help out. Um, but uh, we hope that you send, you're able to send your questions or comments through the Google Doc. Thanks. So, on to our guests and our program for today. We're going to start out um, the day with um, an Orton staff member, and then what's terrific is we have two uh, women who have been deep in the heart and soul process, and particularly with engagement. So um, all three of these women have done a pretty remarkable on-the-ground work when it comes to engagement, so I think you'll get a lot out of this call. Megan Bacard is Senior Associate of Programs at Orton with over 15 years of experience in public policy development, including applied research, community engagement, strategic planning, program implementation, and performance assessment. She serves state, regional, tribal, and local governments, as well as community organizations. Armed with a master's degree in public administration, much of her career has been focused on consulting on ways to make public systems and resources work better for the people they serve. Megan is going to start us off with an overview of community heart and soul engagement. Go ahead, Megan.
2: All right. Thanks for that introduction, Fran. You know, I just have to say that I'm really thrilled to be a part of this conversation today because public engagement Really good public engagement is a deep passion of mine. I've been doing this work for a while now, and I swear, every time I work with a community, I learn something new. But the very fact that every community is unique, they have different places people love, beautiful open spaces, historic buildings, and lively gathering places, and they have different challenges, different issues that they care about, and different ways of communicating. And I contend that any really good public engagement effort should honor this uniqueness, out of the box or not. And really, I contend that out of the box public engagement isn't about finding the fanciest, shiniest, newest way to engage your community. It's about really understanding your community, as well as what you're hoping to achieve in each engagement. That's where the creativity really kicks in, and gives you the opportunity to find an approach that really sparks inter- sparks your community's interest, uh, you know. And those those ideas may be something that no one else has ever thought of before, or it may be your own unique twist on a tried and true method. So, what I like to call public engagement the heart and soul way really embodies this basic principle of effective public engagement. So, what do I mean when I say that? Well. First, it follows three basic tenets of good public engagement, whether you're using the heart and soul method of community planning or not. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to reference engagement in the heart and soul process during my brief talk today. Uh, I'll try to keep my comments general enough for those who are not familiar with heart and soul. But I also encourage you all to explore our website, uh, orton.org, for more information if you're interested. Okay, so back to those three basic tenets of good engagement. So the first is be intentional in your efforts. Only ask questions when you plan to use the answers. This means you need to know your goals and what you're hoping to accomplish in each engagement. For instance, in Heart and Soul, there are different engagement goals depending on where you are in the process. Early on, we're trying to learn what matters most to folks in their own words. So we employ a variety of storytelling activities to gather those stories. And then later in the process we want the community to really work together to develop an action plan. So we use larger group forums like a community summit. Now tailoring your efforts to your specific goals for each engagement in sharing with the, with the folks who are participating. How their input will be used means that people can be assured that they're spending their time and energy wisely, which I think we all know is really important these days since time is extremely limited for most people. Now, the second tenet is check back and make sure you heard your community right. In the heart and soul process, you need to go back to the public several times to verify your community's statements about what matters most, your goals and your actions Back like this builds trust in the process as well as ownership in the community over its outcome. And the third tenet is be transparent. This means that you're very thorough in your record keeping so anyone can access the data if they so choose. It also means that you're reporting back to the community on what you're learning along the way, you're reporting back to them on the progress you're making towards your project goals as well as progress with. Implementing your action plan. Again, this builds trust in the process and allows people to see the fruits of their efforts. You know, back to that using their time wisely and really making that engagement matter for them. Now, engagement in the heart and soul process goes beyond these three tenets to emphasize two additional critical factors for your success. The first of these is that you should tailor your activities to the groups you're trying to reach. To do this in the heart and soul process, we rely on a community network analysis tool, or CNA, that we developed to learn more about who's in the community, what are the various groups in our community, and what are the best ways to reach and engage them. For instance, uh, in some work we're doing in Macomb, Ohio, the folks there wanted to reach out to the Hispanic members of their community and through conversations they had while conducting their CNA, they discovered that they had to go slow, you know, just ease in. Go to the folks in the community directly with the help of a trusted individual to help make that connection from the beginning. So they started with a block party in the neighborhood where many of their Hispanic neighbors lived. They provided fun activities for the children, good food for everyone. They with them about their hopes and challenges and offered to pitch in and help with easily actionable issues. As a result of their efforts, the Heart & Soul team members were invited to join in an upcoming barbecue with the families they reached. So it really turned out to be this great relationship-building opportunity, as well as an opportunity to gather input, which leads me to the last of these tenets that I want to mention here today. Whenever you can, you should intentionally work to build relationships in your community, in general and between groups that have been historically divided. This means that you should not rely solely on light touch types of engagement, like surveys or even social media to gather information. These can be really useful tools in certain situations, but the more you can talk to people in person, individually, or in smaller large groups, the better. This allows you the opportunity to build the relationships that are going to be so important to you as you strive to identify your community's common cause and build a whole community investment in carrying out your action plan. So quick review. Those five tenets, again, are one, be intentional, two, check back, three, be transparent, four, tailor your activities to your target audiences, and five, Work to build relationships in your community whenever possible. So with these success factors in mind, your options are really pretty much limitless. And we encourage you to have as much fun and use enough create, as much creativity as possible. So with that, I want to turn it back over to the rest of our speakers today so you can hear about some of the creative ways they've worked with their communities. Friends? Great,
0: thank you so much, Megan. And uh, before we get on to these incredibly concrete and fabulous ideas from folks in in Maiden, Colorado, I just want to remind people that uh, Leslie Wright is, is madly taking notes. She's very good at this. It's It really is not helpful for somebody to be correcting those notes at this time. It's okay if you add to the notes after the call is over, but it's very distracting and difficult. But we do try to take notes as we go along, so you can read along with those if they're helpful. But please don't help us right now by trying to correct those notes. Thanks. Um, we also, because we um, there are only fifty people who can edit the Google Doc at one time, a lot of people are in the read only mode if um, you might consider um, getting out and, and uh, coming back to the Google doc in the read only mode uh, so other people can uh, add questions as we move along so we 're thrilled about having so many people we have. 380 some registered, um, but there are more than 50 people who are in there in the edit mode at this time. Also, if you're having issues or you have a question and you can't get through, you can send them to communications at orton.org. That's communications at orton.org. We have also heard that a few people can't get um, on the phone line, so also know that we will be uh, sending out this link. We are recording the call and we will send these things out. So sometimes, um, this kind of richness um, is a good thing and sometimes it causes a few little issues. So, um, now on to these uh very practical um, uh tips about uh, engagement in different parts of the country. So first we're going to go to Colorado in um, in a rural part of southwest Colorado. Robbie Hines worked for over a decade in some of the most challenging places um, in the world. This is before she's a Colorado native. Before that, uh, she worked in some of the most challenging places in the world in agricultural microfinance. So she was um, literally in in Africa, I don't have the list in front of me, but in very interesting places, and she returned home, where a man and her roots regrounded her. So she is now co-owner of Southwest Seed, it's a family business. That grows and sells native plants for land restoration in her spare time, Robbie is active on numerous local boards and a local community foundation. She was an original member of the Heart and Soul Community Advisory team in Cortez, Colorado. Uh, so it 's really wonderful that somebody who has been all over the world decides to come back and make her community stronger. Robbie, let us know what works in Colorado. Thanks for being with us.
1: Well, it's funny to hear yourself be talked about to a group of people like that, but it's kind of exciting to be a part of this program and put to use some of the things that I've gotten to see and participate in all around the world. Um, so, And I really get passionate about community involvement and making communities better. And so this has been a great opportunity for me to be introspective about what that means and, and what it looks like. Um, and what I would say is that there's a huge continuum of activities that are engagement kinds of activities. They all have a role and a place, um, but the things that I would like to focus on today are the things at the more um, involved end of the spectrum, that takes a little bit more time, effort, and putting yourself out there in front of people, and sometimes that's a very hard thing to do. Um, My background before I started traveling internationally was in marketing. And so I also kind of bring that to the way I evaluate any kind of project that I do. You can't do one activity one time and expect that you've really made a difference. You have to make it stick. And there's a lot of different figures out there, but at least 10 times people need to hear information, engage with it in some form or fashion in order for it to stick so it starts to become their information or something that they can believe in. And so I think that there's all different kinds of ways to solicit ideas, create buy-in and ownership, and work on different levels of engagement. Um, I personally feel that our Heart and Soul project and everything we worked to is a success because people felt heard and valued and what they contributed was used. And so long after Heart and Soul and Orton and The work of our team is forgotten. Those values are going to be remembered. People are going to be able to articulate them. And that's really powerful stuff. Um, We met where people lived. And so that is where I'm going to move to next, is trying to get to some of the more intensive kinds of activities that we used in terms of engagement. Um, But one of the things that made us so powerful, I think, is that we had people that showed up and wanted to be a part of this that brought with them very specific skills. And the four I'm going to think about right away are we had an artist graphic designer person. So she brought that creativity to everything we did. We had a Hispanic woman who was deeply committed to her community and to the needs of a very quiet segment of our community. And so that's where she spent all of her time. We had someone deeply involved in our historic society and the historical roots of our community. And so they took all of the words of heart and soul and went to that part of the community. And um, we had somebody who was very technically oriented. She actually became our program manager. And so for her, compiling data and looking at this from the numbers standpoint and what numbers could tell us got her fired up. And so those were different kinds of people, and we just played to those strengths because that's what they brought to the team. So. Going back to our Monica, who reached our Hispanic community, she was passionate about it, and she could combine her other jobs with this work for Heart and Soul. She started out by going to the the Hispanic-speaking churches or the churches that had services for our Hispanic community and just went, as uh, Megan said, went slowly, got to know people until they trusted her enough to invite her to get involved in other things. And then she could invite people from Heart and Soul into those Discussions, lunches, we had a block party with our Hispanic population, and then she started doing translation services. So they were getting information that they would never have gotten otherwise because it just wasn't shared with them at a level that made sense to them. And so in terms of engagement, one person on our team probably did more to reach that population than anybody else in any other effort we could have come up with. Because she was passionate about it, and she took advantage of every opportunity. Um, we also got an opportunity to reach out to our Native American population. They, they, well, not unlike, uh, not unusually, we have problems with racial tensions and issues in our community as well as other parts of the world. And um, so we met with a group of them that were very concerned with diversity and racial tensions and issues, and said, "Okay, talk to us about it." And so they went to the place where they were most comfortable. And we sat and listened and took as many notes as we could. And then when they could lay that on the table, we could start talking about how can we make this connect with? How can this conversation become deeper and richer because of your experiences right here, right now in our community? Again, another population that without going to that specific place, we never would have engaged with them. They ended up inviting us to go to their community, to go to the heart of their community, Toyok, and meet with elders and talk about the ideas of land and what physically it should look like. And so it is still beautiful and it is still honoring their traditions. That was hugely powerful. And I think for all of us on our team, that was probably more valuable than a lot of other things because we never would have gotten that opportunity any other way. The part that I was most involved in are called community conversations. And I don't know how many of you have heard of those or engaged in those. But it comes from the Rick Horwood Institute. And I would encourage people to look that up if this speaks to you at all. But community conversations are an incredibly flexible and powerful tool to bring people together in any walk of life and to sit down and talk about your community. They give you kind of a, a schedule of questions that you can ask as a facilitator, but you could also tweak those to address a specific issue or, you know, something that is going on or would make the most sense for your community. We chose to follow a pretty standard format and we coupled this with work from our local public radio station because they wanted to get at that same information. So it was really nice to make that kind of a partnership both in terms of the labor and the people involved in it, but also making the use of that information in, in as many different ways as possible. And with a community conversation, they would last between an hour, and an hour and a half. I typically was a facilitator, and I would have somebody taking notes. And we would let people kind of start generally at thinking about their community and what works and what doesn't work. And then we would start to drill down more specifically. But depending on the group that was sitting in the room at that time, We might head off into the world of artists and creativity and the lack of venues for artists. We might move to what it is like to be homeless or to be very, very poor in our community because we held these conversations on a Saturday when the working people could come or at the homeless shelter or at a um, a soup line or self-selected so we would just put it out there in general so people could come to it we went to the Home Builders Association. We had a focus group or a community conversation with youth. So we really got to take that in many different directions. And um, so I think that that was one of the most powerful tools we had. I could keep on going, but I'm going to stop, and I will fill in with more information when we get to the question and answer.
0: Terrific, Robbie. Thank you so much. So there's such great, concrete, um, clear, and creative ways to get out. Clearly you went. Out to the people, and you, and you went at the right time, times that were convenient. Um, So thank you so much. And before we move on to Meg, how do you spell Rick Horwick? Just so people who might be interested in doing that, and we get it right.
1: It's Rich R I C H, Harwood H A R W O O D Institute. Perfect.
0: Boy, did I get that wrong. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I mumbled. Thank you so much. So now we'll, um, we're will we going to move on to Maine and uh, Meg Carlson. She is a native Mainer who landed in Gardner when she married into a family rooted several generations back. Working on Community Heart and Soul as the project coordinator was transformative for her. Uh, Meg is a mom of two and, as she calls herself, a serial volunteer. Uh, she is currently the chair of Gardner's Parks and Recreation Committee, She is a member of the Gardner Area Duct Tape Council and Farmers Market Steering Committee. She's also involved with Gardner Main Street and Gardner's New Food Co-op. Meg is going to share um, some more cool engagement ideas from Maine. Go ahead, Meg. Thank you,
3: Fran. Hi, everyone. I'm really glad to be able to be here and share just a few of the ways that we got Gardner residents to contribute to our heart and soul project. Um, which informed our new comprehensive plan as well as a community action plan for items that didn't fall under that municipal umbrella. So from what I've been told, a comprehensive plan is traditionally a tedious document to prepare and the finished product isn't something that sees a lot of heavy use maybe. So we're really proud of our unique plan and being able to say that a large portion of our community had a hand in that is really exceptional. I'm personally confident that we gave everyone a chance to be heard. But one of the challenges we faced in trying to understand how to reach the folks in our city, which I think is a pretty common challenge, is that everybody is really, really busy, and they might be busy enough that they aren't even taking the time to understand what your event is, um, let alone attend it. So we found that making the events as fun as possible and then letting people know that they were free ended up working out pretty good for us. So the our first real public engagement event that we got into was an open house, and we called it Have a Go at Gardner, and we held it on early in the afternoon on a Saturday at our Boys and Girls Club in the gymnasium. So that's already kind of a community center that we have in our area. Um, we brought our Heart and Soul Story Gathering team, and we invited as many of our local groups, organizations and nonprofits to each host a station with a gardener centric game or activity or ask a question and we also hosted a huge array of local food so we offered this taste of gardener buffet so we had fun and we had food and it was all free and our poster sent out that really clear message because our logo was still virtually unrecognizable it meant nothing to anybody so In huge letters, open house, free food, and door prizes, plus the date and the location. But above that, we mostly relied on word of mouth to get those initial details out. What I felt gave our attendance a great boost at that event was the number of the people participating, from our own heart and soul volunteers to the nonprofits volunteers to the runners who delivered food to the families of the kids from the local dance who we invited to sort of dance around and spread cheer while a local band played, all of these people brought their own people. So our attendance was really decent that day and the participation was great. It was a huge win for us early on in our project. So another one of our events, which was actually two events, it was called Good Old Fashioned Fun, still using that fun theme. it took place on two days. Like I said, one was a Saturday morning to try and attract families getting out with their kids on a Saturday morning or people who were working maybe. Uh and this second event was on a Tuesday evening and it was in our public park, the Gardner Common. So the idea was to bring the values out into the community in the form of carnival games because everybody loves to go to the fair and play carnival games or they have in the past, you know, it's a great thing. So we were hoping to collect people's hopes, dreams, ideas, all their wishes for Gardner in a really family-friendly and accessible, and most importantly, a fun way. And that Tuesday evening event was also piggybacked along with our police department's National Night Out, which is a nationally-sponsored public safety event. That way, we were able to double up on our marketing efforts, spreading the word, Um, They also provided a full-service neighborhood-style cookout. They had awesome demos and all the emergency vehicles they could bring, which also made it possible for us to have a really awesome group photo from the top of the ladder truck. So our team brought a bounce house, a ton of games, and most importantly, the desserts. But in order to get a big slice of watermelon or a whoopie pie, um, attendees had to get a punch card and have it filled in. So for that we created or we put a gardener spin on a series of activities and games that included ring toss, bingo, a giant tic-tac-toe game, a community mural map, a true or false game and raise your idea in which one would draw or write on a little small fabric flag a one wish or idea for the future of Gardner. All those ideas were later strung up on display in a large window of a vacant storefront down on Water Street where we had been allowed to set up a temporary downtown headquarters. So this not only gave everybody an opportunity to look at all those great ideas, but it gave us a really visible presence in a high traffic area and it was awesome for walk-ins since I maintained a small workspace in there. And it was also um, manned on a rotating schedule by volunteers so people could come in off the street anytime it was a really sweet inviting living room style where we just proudly displayed all our artwork dozens of flip charts notes for meetings it was really transparent um, even the messy stuff lots of our activities were available for participation at any time including my favorite which was also a a big hit at our carnivals, marble voting. So in marble voting we had more than 350 voters weigh in over the course of a few months by putting their values in order of priority and we had 11 values, so we had 11 bottles that were labeled for each value and six marbles for each voter. And I found this game to be so helpful because I had to explain how to do it. So it forced me to refine an excellent elevator speech, which gave me the ability to explain our giant project in a nutshell, and it encouraged folks to feel empowered about their hometown and to take advantage of this awesome opportunity um, to create a more positively unified community here in Gardner. And again, these are just a few of the ways that um, we saw great success in our Heart and Soul project, getting
0: people to engage. Thanks. Thank you so much, Meg. Um, I love all the the fun, the food, uh, the free. Uh mm-hmm. so uh, uh kudos to you for really uh doing a lot of out of the out-of-the-box ways of getting people involved and uh thinking about how they can how they can change their town. So I'd like to go on to our, our Q and A. Um, and okay. And so let me see, we will one of the things that I noted, uh, John from Oregon, Julie from Pennsylvania, another anonymous call, um, were really interested in these proven successful ways to reach and attract diverse audiences in, in the public involvement process. Um, I think a lot of those were covered, I think Robbie in, in Cortez, um, how you um, got Native Americans involved, Hispanic uh, people involved. Uh, I don't know if there's anything that people want to add um, to that conversation. How do you, people – and this is also people who are often marginalized – do any of you have something that you want to add to the conversation that we haven't really already talked about? Those those people who would never think about really coming to City Hall, but you want to hear their voices, you want to engage them, Were there um, are there other thoughts about that, any of you?
2: May, uh, actually, um, Megan, are you are you back on the line? I, I am on the line. have Have yet to switch phones, so I apologize for okay. for the um, echo. I'll do that in just a moment. Um, I know that
0: you worked with um, with new Americans in, in a number of different places. So, do you, you want to add to that conversation about diverse and marginalized audiences? Oh, sure.
2: You know, I I find. A number of the things that we've already talked about um, are really great um, principles to apply, but the one that I find that works the best is really relying on um, finding the person, a person who can connect you with those groups, somebody Mm -hmm. that's already trusted, someone that's known, and that you can actually um, develop a partnership with. So that's one piece of it, but there are other things that we did. So, for instance, I did a project for uh, King County or with King County, Washington, um, where we were doing a, a large scale uh, strategic planning uh, process and we wanted um, really to hear from some pretty significant immigrant and refugee populations in the community. So, and we were relying on an online um, forum to get a lot of our input into that strategic plan. So that was a big um challenge to um hearing from the voices from those immigrant and refugee populations, you know, from the uh language barrier alone. So we reached out to groups, uh organizations in the community that served those populations and that we knew had a really great reputation in and we partnered with them, and we trained up um, their staff about what we were doing and what we hoped um, to learn from community members. And they ended up being the voices for us in the in the direct connect in a lot of ways. Plus, they and used a lot of their volunteers to help um, people in their community in their um, sorry computer labs get on that online forum and participate there uh, in their own language, which was just a really fabulous process. And finally, the third thing that really worked about that was we didn't just go there with our agenda in mind. We really took the time to listen um, to what the various communities cared about um, and try to connect them with resources and a pipeline for ongoing uh, mm-hmm. Engagement in county matters so right. any that issues that matter to them i I also um, am
0: noting that some people asked about sustaining broader community involvement, and by engaging these connectors, it seems that you you would you would be sustaining broader community involvement. People would continue to to stay
2: involved. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That by, and it was really the, the key piece there is connecting with people about what they care about, yeah. you know, and, and connecting them with the resources and the pipelines. Um, and that has, um, uh, yeah, really um, opened up uh, a relationship where uh, they can talk with each other over time and not just wait for the next greatest engagement activity. Great. And and I just also want to address, before we get to our other guests again, somebody just wrote in,
0: how do you assure that you wind up with practical ideas worth implementing? And again, I'm hearing you listen to the people that you're trying to engage. Right. <laughs> okay. Can so, I so just here? Number one, yes. Go ahead.
1: Okay. This is Robbie again. And I'm going to go back to the community conversations, because that is something that I kind of took the lead role in. Um, so by creating these community conversations, I kept a database of everybody I talked to. And so as as the body of knowledge grew and moved on, I was firing emails back to everybody. Now I know this goes back to a different question. What about people who don't stay connected by email and things like that? And I can't answer that with this piece of idea. but. For all of those that I could, my list grew until I had over 200 people that I could just kind of personally, because I had personally interacted with all these people, just feed information back or solicit more ideas. And so I could kind of use that as a way of keeping people together. But then, after a while, like I said, this ball of information was huge, and it was ideas. It was free-form thinking, and so they fit into many of the categories and the values that we as a town were starting to develop as we collected information in many different ways. But then I started inviting people back. I didn't, we ran out of time. These take a lot of energy. But I created some synergy groups and said, okay, come back and let's choose one of the topics that has come up and let's go deeper with this. What does this mean? Because early on we would say we're not here to solve problems right now in this forum. We're talking, we're getting to know other ways of viewing the same problem. But now let's synthesize all of this information and see where we can't make it kind of crystallize for us. And that was a fascinating process. It kept people really engaged, and over the course of time, not all 200 people were involved all the time, but we got people who got really into it and kind of developed that sense of ownership about an idea and some of the values that we were creating around Cortez. So I'd say that with certain activities, they lend themselves to continuing that conversation on and on and on.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much, Robbie. And another – a series of questions um, that have come in just recently are about how do you show the importance of this kind of creative engagement to public officials who might not see the return on investment? Uh, so that just came in. We also had somebody, how do you let city council members know how citizens want to sit at the decision table on issues that affect them? That's from California. Then also Bill from Connecticut. How does the town pla- the town planner um, get involved in, in this um, whole piece of business, and, and how do you engage him? How, where, where does a town planner fit? I don't know, Megan, if you want to start with an overall, how do you get – City government officials involved in this kind of are buying in in a creative way to engage um, the rest of their citizens, and, and how important that is.
2: Yeah, um, you know, city, well, government officials in general have you know really legitimate concerns about a wise use of the resources of public resources. They're you know they're there to be stewards of those resources, and so, I think one of the key things is talking with them uh, about those concerns. Um, I like to start on an individual basis, you know, just like you would out there with community members, um, go and and talk to, say, your city council members individually, say what you would like to do, what you're hoping to achieve. You know, you can point out examples from other communities about how it's been successful. And um, and then ask if there are any specific concerns they have and try to address those. Around the resource um, issue, I think, you know, we've, we've heard some great stories here just in this hour um, about the return on investment. I mean, Gardner's comprehensive plan is, is a fabulous uh, story of about that, and how that paid off um, you know you can 't always convince everyone, but there are lots of creative ways um, to use those if they are concerned about resources, you know gathering volunteers in kind donations. we did that um, back in that uh, King County example I gave before because our county council members were concerned about you know, the good use of public resources. So we went and got a lot of donations for prizes and incentives and the food and, and things like that.
0: Right. And that really,
2: yeah, and that, and that
0: pulls people together and, and creates partnerships. I, I kind of want to get to, um, Jean had a very interesting question about consensus building. Um, and I know uh, Meg was involved in something like this. And maybe this also has to do with what, uh, town planners need to understand this. So Jean, just I'll, I'll try to address her question quickly, quickly. She said, we have a complicated development project in a small town. Um, there's an active volunteer committee, and there's several subcommittees working with a professional planning team. How do we keep the public involved and up to speed? Uh, she says they ultimately will need a two-thirds vote at town meeting. Uh, they have a website, have a Facebook page, weekly email blasts, we've issued online surveys. They seem like they've done a lot. Uh, they've actually had over a 1,000 responses in a community of 12,000. Most of our communication appears as a one-way street, either out, email blasts, or in survey responses. We've held some walking tours and public discussions. Different people attend each time what other ways can you suggest to facilitate a conversation with a goal towards consensus building and i'm sure all planners would be interested in this um, meg do you do you want to take a first quick stab at that
3: um and do you mean like kind of in regards to our focused discussions that
0: we had maybe oh, Yeah. Or and 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 did you find that you could find you could you could find some consensus when you uh, had those people in the room well i think
3: that um it's so tricky because consensus is like an elusive beast, right? it's like a mythical creature. It's like, how, I have no idea how to find consensus, but I, we felt pretty comfortable with getting people talking more about it with each other. I mean, maybe they won't come to a consensus in the room at that moment, but the more you can have these conversations facilitated in public places where people who might not normally be part of the conversation can get involved where they might walk in off the street or or what have you. I think the more conversation that happens, the more people can hear their own neighbors talking about it. They'll get a different perspective, and maybe they'll walk away and think about it, and a consensus will be reached. I've never been in that town meeting situation, really, where you have to have all that consensus in one room at one time. But, I mean, I would definitely say giving people as as much of an opportunity as possible to... Hear what their neighbors have to say. So we had some of those kind of community conversation type events that were focused discussions, and it was it was an arena where people were at least getting enough information where and, and kind of changing minds maybe a little bit here and there. And so at the end, it might be leaning in one direction, you know, one way more than the other. Uh-huh. I don't know what else. <laughs>
0: Okay. I know that that's, it, 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 is a, it is a tricky piece of business, and sometimes uh, surveys, articles, there are lots of ways to um, move towards consensus building, but that's probably one of, the, one of the trickier pieces of business, and maybe at a community summit, once you start getting a lot of people at least connected, they'll come together to help work towards that. Uh, another series of questions that I'm seeing, I'm trying to, to get to as many of these as possible, is about email and web-based communication. It seems to certainly hold promise. It, it's, re- it, promise. it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, it can reach a lot of people. Uh, ben was not sure that it really did as, as much to engage people as he had hoped. Uh, and there are some people that you can access by social media. But let's stick with if people um, have had good or not so good uh, uh, results with web-based engagement tools. And maybe it's who you're trying to reach, like those 30 to 50-somethings. Any thoughts about uh, using email or web-based communications, pros and cons?
1: I will jump. Um, and this is Robbie. Um, And I guess I would say that my take on it, and I think our take in general, was that you need a a group of technologies and techniques for reaching out because no one is really going to cover all the bases. And you're comfortable with the one or ones that you're comfortable with, and so it's very hard to identify with people or groups that are not in that same frame of mind. Um, And so that's kind of just an important thing to recognize is that You're going to have to step outside of your comfort zone to come up with other ways. And we speculated quite a bit bit about putting um, posters and notes on telephone poles. We didn't really think that that was going to fly with, you know, county planners and things. But other ways, written word, um, we did skits, we did um, radio blasts and things like that. So we tried to use a wide variety of media in a consistent way, and that's the hard part, but in a consistent way so that we were thinking through how people receive information and how they grab hold of it.
0: Terrific, Robbie. thank you. Uh, there is uh, also people, I think we've, we've probably covered this, but how do you reach people who aren't accessing social media and who don't attend public meetings? I think in a way that's really, what this call is all about. So even more specifically, somebody saying, how do you work to engage the 30- to 50-year-olds who are working, raising kids, completely booked? Um, And actually, all of you are in that category, I believe. So how do people reach out to that very busy group of people?
3: I can say a couple things. This is Meg. Um, I tried to go to places that those people would already be at. So any other events, I just tried to kind of insert myself into other events that other organizations already had planned, um, like music boosters or games or um, fairs or festivals or, you know, I went to the first day of school fair. I mean, I just tried to get to the places where those people already were. And I also was just kind of, uh, in general, a loudmouth about the project.
0: So <laughs>
3: sort of what I did for a couple of years is this what I talked about everywhere I went and I mean I I think it worked. <laughs> so trying to go to places where you might anticipate that that crowd and and I begged my friends sort of to to participate and they got into it and they liked it and then they told their friends and I think that is a huge part of it. Peter, just like peer I pressure there, I guess.
2: And Megan, Miguel hard here you know i I loved I believe it was uh North Fork Valley here in Colorado um, that at least in, in the thirty somethings audience was one they were really reaching out to, and they knew there were some you know local watering holes that uh, where they could reach a lot of people in that age range so they set up these um they had uh partnered with a local Brewery that created a, a beer for the process, and they had coasters with the questions they were asking, and people could write on the coasters, and you know, the bars put them up on the on the walls so people could hear what they were saying. So another just really inventive, I think, way uh, to reach people where they are, where they're going to be. If people are busy, it's best to get them, you know, in the normal course of their lives.
0: Thank you, thank you, Megan. Uh another uh yeah, I love the the coasters. It was you know what what do you love about this town, and on the flip side, you could write those write all those things out right there at the bar, and uh, they got an amazing amount of information uh, from just that one uh engagement tool. William from Connecticut uh, is asking, what is the role for local history in this? And if so, what and how? And I think, Robbie, you talked about the historical society got involved. I know another town had heart spots where they very much involved local history and local buildings in asking people about what they loved about their town. Do you want to elaborate or does somebody else out there have some ideas about how local history can fit in this scenario?
1: Um, So this is Robbie. And I would say that as we progressed, one of the values – well, it touched on several of the values that became so near and dear to us. But it was that our history as both a little rural town kind of in the middle of nowhere and our agricultural history was important. And we had some cool buildings that reflected that. And so our historian partnered her historical society with Heart and Soul for tours one day. And so we could combine walking around and kind of feeling and experience the history of our community with why is that so powerful? Why does that still kind of give you goosebumps as you're looking at it today in 2015? And, um, and as people who are passionate about their community, you can't get people much more passionate than historians who really love and have researched everything about their community. So I think that it's... There are some stereotypical images that might exist for some people about what it means to appreciate the historical aspects of your community, and you need to think creatively around that. But our tours were really well received, and people enjoyed getting to feel like some of these buildings were really their own, still not just the local drugstore or something like that. Terrific.
2: This is this is Megan. I just I love. The, the work you did around this. And um, I would like to just add that um, a community's history, landmarks, whatever it may be, can be a wonderful launching pad to talking about uh, where you want to go. Um, so combining that that past, present, or connecting that uh, past, present, and future can be just a really uh, powerful um Way to uh, organize your community's conversation.
0: Great, thank you, um, Megan. And, and maybe this is another question. This is a, a wide question. What metrics have been used to measure the success of project public outreach? Again, I think these are people that want to convince their city councilors and, and town planners that these are good ideas. Uh, how do you how do you get the metrics to convince people that these are these are great ways to get out and talk to people?
2: So, this is me uh, and Picard again. Oh, oh no, no, sorry, go sorry go ahead. if you would like. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that, you know, there are some really um, standard uh, measures that you can use, just, you know, the number of people participating, you know, that's um, all really basic stuff. But I think your metrics are usually should be designed uh, according to the outcomes you hope to see. So, what, what was the result? You were looking for. Um, I talked about relationship building as one of the things that is really important to us in the heart and soul process. Um, so you know, we might um, measure the uh, connections that were made between groups if we built that into the z- design of our engagement effort, um, because the just you know number of people who turned out from you know specific groups is useful information to let you know that you're reaching the people that you uh, believe are important to reach. Um, but I would really encourage folks to go beyond that and think really thoughtfully about um, the outcomes that you're hoping to achieve and design your metrics from there. And of course, I can't right. give you specifics on that. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Uh,
2: um, I, this I have, is
3: Meg, I'm I I just ahead. sorry. I just want to say really quickly, um, we don't, you know, we don't have any metrics in place and we haven't, we don't have any concrete numbers about how you know, successful these efforts were, except that I think that most of our nonprofits in town or, or local groups or organizations can say that there is an increased sense of volunteerism and connection to the community, definitely. And, um, we see a lot more activity around events and engagement in general that happens in Gardner. I think – and we still see it improving and getting stronger every single day. Um, just for an example, we had a fire downtown last month, and the the efforts for relief are far beyond any expectations. I mean, we, our community is absolutely
0: stronger from these engagement efforts, no doubt about it. That's fabulous, Meg. Thank you so much. And this maybe leads into this um, one uh, potentially last question here. It's from Emily in Massachusetts, and she asks, what are techniques that you have used to increase people's empathy towards people unlike themselves? In other words, people who might need affordable housing, families, seniors, teens, etc. cetera. Um, are there those cross-group, uh, cross-gender, cross uh, group, cross gender, uh, cross, uh well, uh, diversity opportunities that have been created by some of these engagement um, uh, ideas.
1: Well, this is Robbie, and I hate to sound like the broken record, (laughs) but I'm going to push community conversation that format one more time. Because people sit down in a room or in the park or something like that for an hour and a half, it's a small group. We had one that had four people in it, and up to about 20 was our maximum size. And you listen to each other, because you're sitting in a circle and looking at each other. And the facilitator really plays kind of a back role to the conversation that is going on. And my first conversation, there was a gentleman who had a very, very strong opinion, very um, directly opposed to the way I view the world, about what our role as humans are to each other. And um, so I kind of knew that it was a little interesting to have he and I in the same room. And he told a story about being a homesteader and what it was like to be a homesteader out here from his family's perspective and then his own, and about how the community came together and built the school. There was no other funding from outside. And they built a school, and they staffed that school, and it worked for the community. And I can read books and get that, but to hear that about my own community from somebody who I would have probably, you know, not been able to engage with at that level because we do come from different places in our the way we interact with the world, it was one of the most powerful stories I'd heard in a long time. and And so it changed me. It opened me up, and I was supposed to be the facilitator. I was supposed to be the wise one. So... (laughs) So things like that that make that allow people to slow down and to share stories and it's a dangerous or it's a difficult thing to facilitate because some people will try and dominate the stage. But one story is worth a thousand words or ten thousand words. I don't know what the right metric is there, but it's very very powerful.
0: Thank you so much, Robbie. That feels like in a a way. Wonderful concluding statement for you, but we'll come back if we have time. I'm looking uh, to Meg and, and Megan for that, you know, what's one – something people can do right away to get started in creative engagement or something to to think about, like making people feel welcome, or uh, one last piece of advice. Meg?
3: Um, well, I would say – I think my number one piece of advice is actually getting outside of comfort zones and talking to your neighbors. Um, I think it starts really, really in tiny little steps, little tiny pieces here and there, and it can grow pretty quickly once you know everybody in your neighborhood or you've got um, everybody sort of knowing each other first, and then talking about things that are really important to them. That's my That's all I got, I guess. I think it's a kind of a a great rule of thumb, just outside your comfort zone and being friendly and getting to know people around you.
0: And you've certainly done that. And um, Megan.
2: One piece of advice. Um, I I just want to go back to the relationship piece and really encourage people, to reach out to those connectors uh, in the community and help people um, to connect with each other and find out what they care about and what the best ways are for them. I mean, really, if you want to get started in this and, and finding what's going to be the best ways uh, to connect with your community, uh, I really encourage you to um, do something like the community uh, network analysis that I talked about before. Um and then yeah, go crazy, have fun, be creative.
0: <laughs> okay. And Robbie, is there any uh, last word where we uh we need to close at the hour, but are are you good with that fabulous last statement that you just
1: made? I am, and it summarizes with what both Meg and Megan said, is you push on yourself, push on the group that's working with you to, to push outside of your comfort zone. The the first community conversation I did, I was nervous, I was more than nervous for two days beforehand because I didn't know how I could control it or make it happen or anything. And I really didn't need to. It was Hmm. going to take care of itself. I just had to push on my own comfort zone. So go deeper. Okay.
0: Fabulous. Thank you. Uh, Robbie Robbie Hines for those great engagement tips from Cortez. And thank you, uh, Meg Carlson, for your inspiring stories from Gardner, Maine thanks very well. and Megan, thank you for your insights and knowledge. That is our call for today. I think we got to most of the questions i 'm not sure if we really covered uh, darren 's uh, question about open space planning. If people have ideas about you know getting people out to that open space and thinking about it and generating ideas, uh, please let us know in the Google Doc. Um, I know that there are a lot of people on the call today. You might not have had access to the document, but you uh, should be able to do that in. In the next few hours, or certainly days, to add your thoughts and inputs to the Google Doc. Um, Leslie's also put a brief link, uh, put a link to a very brief survey at the top of the Google Doc in the announcements section. So we hope you take a moment to complete that survey. Tell us about your experience today, and that will help us learn how we can make this series more useful to you. A podcast of this call and the Google Doc Call Notes will be emailed around and posted online. We hope you join us for a future Orton Family Foundation event. On September 10th, we're offering a webinar on Phase 2 called Explore Your Community, a lot of what we're talking about today, actually, of the community heart and soul approach. So you can tune in for that webinar. Then in October, we offer another call on Heart and Soul for Planners discovering a new way to do better planning. Thank you all for participating. We hope you walk away with inspiration to do some out-of-the-box engagement methods in your town. For all of us at the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time.